Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. Tonight is session number 285, and it is the session in which the doom of Bill the Pony shall be spoken. However, um, not, of course, a little spoiler. It's not going to be a horrible doom. Uh, indeed, um, the um, uh, as we've seen many times before, um, uh, the continuous and loving care is going to be taken for the uh, uh, for the health and safety of almost every equine in the Lord of the Rings, making up for the tragedy of the Hobbit. Um, but um, there we go. So anyway, okay. Uh, however, before we get we jump into the Doom of Bill, um, I wanted to my announcement today. Many of you will have seen the. Um, announcement that I did on Saturday uh, when I announced our new our, our new program. I just wanted to share that with those who had missed it. Uh, the Signum Collaboratory. The Collaboratory uh, is a new opportunity to be involved in the creative process that we're doing at Signum University. Um, so we have a whole bunch of people who are doing uh, really fun and exciting projects. Books that are being written, uh, video series that are being produced, uh, and uh, so we've got folks who are who are going to be working on all those things. Uh, the Signum Collaboratory is a subscription service where you can not only get access to all of those things, to all of the our content as it's being put forward, as it's being uh, as it's being produced. Um, as you can see here, this is my book, right? So you can get the first six chapters of my book in audio and written form here, um, as you can see, or. Uh, you can also get awesome things like, oh, yes, thank you very much. You can also get awesome things like Mike Drought's phenomenal line-by-line -line Beowulf commentary with supplementary lectures by Mike Drought. So good. So good. Um, we also have Fan Tracks, which is a new thing that we're just releasing for the first time. Fan Tracks um, is uh, it's like Riff Tracks, except analysis, not comedy. Uh, this is audio commentary tracks for films and TV shows we just barely started doing this. Uh, so, for instance, if you want to hear uh, me and New Better Do Better sitting down and uh, doing an audio commentary track for the Rankin-Bass Hobbit, well, here you go. You can get that here. So, um, so anyway, one of the things that the Signum Collaboratory does um, is makes... Um, uh, makes all of our, all of this content available uh, to everybody, um, but it does more than that. In addition, your subscription gives you access uh, to help you, to enable you to be part of these projects. So, if you will get to choose a project room in which you'll be able to. Uh, see works in progress. So in my project room for my book, for instance, is where I will be dropping drafts of my chapters for people to comment on and discuss and give me feedback on. And then I'll respond to that and, and revise the chapter um, so that everyone who is in my project room is going to be a real, um, a real part of helping me uh, with the book as I go through. There are also a bunch of video projects that we have. So we have several books that are that are uh, unfolding here, including Jeff LaSalle's Silmarillion Primer, which is going to be so cool. Um, but we also have a bunch of video series uh, that are going on here. Like, for instance, 
Nubeta and I uh, are going to do this series on hip hop and Tolkien, where we we're going to do a series of videos which do a uh, uh, sort of a side by side comparison. Uh, we do a careful analysis of a Tolkien poem and a hip hop song. Uh, and compare the two. So like the first episode we have planned, we're going to look at Gimli's Khazad-dûm poem, which we'll get to, you know, fairly soon in a few months. Uh, and uh, uh, the song Brooklyn by Most Deaf. It's going to be so cool. I, I can't wait. I'm really, really excited about this. Anyway, so there's lots of really fun video projects that we're going to be producing as well as books that are being written. And you can, again, with your collaboratory subscription, you can you get to you get to be in the room where it happens. You get to be a part of it. Um, and there's so much stuff. We've got lots of cool things, presentations and academic stuff and, and uh, creative writing being put out in the halls for people to look at and to read to. You can join creator circles to have monthly meetings with your favorite authors and videos producers. So much stuff happening in the Signum Collaboratory. So I encourage you uh, to check that out. Collaboratory.signumuniversity.org um, So anyway, it's, um, it's, it's very, very... Uh, uh, it, this is our new thing. It's very cool. I'm very excited about it. Just starting up, this is a sort of an experimental thing that we're doing. Um, as you can see, this, this is not sort of a normal way to do publishing or any of these other kinds. This is, this is a new thing um, that we're experimented with, but which I'm really, really excited about. So I, I hope you will look into this at collaboratory.signumuniversity.org. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, Cron 121, you're uh, uh, you're extremely nerdy about both uh, both hip hop and Tolkien. Well, there you go. See, look, there's something we have in common. Um, I'm a huge hip hop fan. Uh, hip hop is like the you know greatest linguistic art form uh, of the last 200 years. So uh, I'm, I'm I'm all about it. Um, uh, and of course, to, so it's something that Nubeta and I both share. So we're excited to to, to work through it. Um, anyway, all right. So that's the collaboratory, and I hope that um, I hope that you will look into that and join us here because there's a lot of fun stuff going on. All right. And now, let us return to the unwholesome lake. We must find a way round the northern edge," said Gimli. The first thing for the company to do is to climb up by the main path and see where that will lead us. Even if there were no lake, we could not get our baggage pony up this stair. But in any case, we cannot take the poor beast into the mine, said Gandalf. The road under the mountains is a dark road, and there are places narrow and steep which he cannot tread, even if we can. Poor old Bill, said Frodo. I had not thought of that. And poor Sam. I wonder what he will say. I am sorry, said Gandalf. Poor Bill has been a useful companion, and it goes to my heart to turn him adrift now. I would have traveled lighter and brought no animal, least of all this one that Sam is fond of, if I had had my way. I feared all along that we should be obliged to take this road. Okay. Um, Almerea, I that's the first observation that I was thinking of, too. She says, we are in Gimli's world now. Yes. Notice, uh, once again... Tolkien continues to show us Gimli's excitement and enthusiasm without telling us. Like, he's not described Gimli for us, right? He could have done. If I were writing this, I don't think I would have been able to resist, you know, some mention or reference or description, right, of Gimli, like, 
hopping up and down and, and like, you know, just the outward shows of, of, of excitement that he must be showing. Even though everyone else is tense, as we've talked about, it's clear Gimli is having a, that very different day, right? Um, and we can see it again here. He's the one who is, who is taking the lead, right? Who is already thinking the, things through. We have to go around the northern edge, right? They're, they're, go they're going to the far side of the lake. They can't go through the valley as the old road used to go, of course. Uh, so they have to go. He's already chosen which way to go. Um, they're going to climb up the stair, but uh, they're going to have to... Um, uh, but, you know, he's seeing this problem, right? We're, we're not going to be able to get the baggage pony uh, up the stair. Um, yeah, so... Okay, well, hang on. We'll come back to the to the plans about Bill. Um, but um, I, I just don't, I don't want to leave Gimli behind uh, completely. Uh, the swiftness with which he jumps in and you know, gives the plan for how to, for how to move forward. Gimli is sort of getting ahead of himself, right? He's not the, he's not the guide. He's not the leader of the party. Um, but we've seen him even ranging out on ahead, right? Um, and all of this again, quietly, uh, gives testimony to his, to his enthusiasm, uh, to his, to his excitement. Um, yeah, yeah, and Josh, that's a, that's an important thing to remember. There's a reason, of course, he's not like the guide or the scout or something. He's never been here before, right? Um, I think, in large part, I, I think there there are two things. One, I suspect that you're right, Josh, that he does know the paths and landmarks from the lore of his people. Um, he probably, you know, does know a great deal more about you know these gates of Moria the West Gates of Moria and the, you know, and the land about it, just from having read about Khazad-dûm, um, you know, uh, or heard stories about it. Um, but at the same time, I think it's also, remember the dread with which they were looking out. Remember all those things we were observing, the frowning mountains and all that stuff, right? You know, the, 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 the peaks frowning down at them and uh, the cliffs and everything. Um, the whole attitude, the whole, the way they've been, you know, looking down at the ground, right? The way that not seeing the mountains, the, all, all of this, this fear that they have had, which we have seen repeatedly um, over the course of the last few pages of text, right? Um, this continuing trend of this continuing fear that the land itself is against them somehow or dread lest the land somehow turn against them, that the land entrap them uh, in some kind of way, like Karathras tried to tried to entrap them, right? Um, Gimli doesn't feel that way, right? Gimli, that is not the experience that Gimli is having. Um, and so I think in large part, his um, quickness to you know, see the options and make plans about how to go is, is a reflection of his eagerness, right? Um, nobody else is excited uh, to get near that lake, right? He's already thinking well past it. It's just something to get around, right, in order to get to the gates of Moria. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yes, JJ, I agree. It's it is a contrast. It's tempting to think of it uh 
as almost kind of parallel to Thorin. Um, J.J. was recalling when Thorin returns to the Lonely Mountain, right, when in the uh, uh, Not at Home chapter, right, when uh, they're all in the mountain and they're wondering where Smaug is, and Thorin says, not in a thousand years should I forget the ways of this palace, right? Um, he knows his way around, even though everything has changed and everything looks horrible now. And to Bilbo, it's just like a dragon's den, right? But uh, to Thorin, it is still a palace. Uh, and he remembers all of its ways. Um, so, um, so yes, it's, it isn't like that with Gimli. Um, so that's why, as I say, I, I mean, perhaps he has more knowledge, but more than anything, I think it, just, it speaks to his attitude. And I love the way, and especially with Gimli. Gimli, remember, he's one of the characters we know least about. I mean, arguably, since we've heard more from Legolas. With Legolas, we've seen him having a sort of frolicsome... Uh, exchange of hobbitry with Gandalf when, um, uh, when you know, in the snow, right? When Gandalf in the early draft threatened to set him on fire, uh, but still in the later draft was uh, uh, was being pretty snarky to him. And we saw Legolas's response, right, in his running past and waving at people. We've seen more of Legolas's personality already. Um, of Gimli, the only thing we've really seen to this point, the only thing that we've seen is the. Um, uh, is the the when he says his piece about the mountains, right? The thing that inspires Sam to talk about what a jawcracker um, uh, dwarf language must be, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you're right, Jackie. The word battle with Elrond about the oaths also, that that's true. That's true. We did see something of him and his personality there. Um, yes. And praise, I, I think, I wonder, I wonder how much of that effect Tolkien was actually almost counting on. Uh, that is, Prey says, when I read this for the first time, I projected a lot of my feelings and knowledge about Glowen unto Gimli, because he's his son. And I would even expand that a little bit, Praise, just to say that, like, dwarf companions, that's a known quantity, Right. Um, so if to some extent we kind of associate Gimli, not even, not even only with Glowen, but with like Thorin and his companions in general, right? With Bilbo's dwarf companions, like it's easy to see him as a kind of, uh, you know, I don't know, some sort of general recapitulation of that, uh, uh, you know, of that whole group in some sense, right? Um, so, um, uh, so yeah. Anyway, but but mostly he's been in the background. So I, I do want to emphasize that this is one of these places that we are learning. We're learning a good deal about Gimli here, um, and it's fun. It's fun to see how excited he is and how he responds in this kind of situation. Um, he could respond by being impatient, right? You know, he could be uh, impatient, critical. He could be speaking against people who are, they're all feeling anxious and afraid and everything. He can, even if, the, if you think about it, Peter Jackson kind of went this way a little bit. The whole scene that I dislike so very much um, where Gimli is going on and on in his false confidence about uh, the welcome that his cousin Balin will give them when they get into Moria. Um, what it, one of the things that we see 
that Jackson does deliberately in that moment in the film is to basically make Gimli, to demonstrate how out of step Gimli's sentiments are with the rest of the party, right? Um, and he's trying to encourage them, but um, uh, but there's a certain, um, I don't know, a certain mockery, you know, in like that, like that, they like they don't know what they're talking about, right? They're all worried about something that they, you know. They're all nervous and scared about something that they, uh, um, you know. There's no call for them to be worried about. And then, of course, what I really dislike is then like the film makes them look like an idiot. But, um, but we don't get any of that here, right? Gimli is not. He is not having the same day as everyone else. But he's not letting them all know it, right? He's not rubbing their faces. He's not. Um, He's not pushing them or pulling them or or anything else. Um, all we get are these quiet but repeated references to Gimli, Gimli's actions, Gimli being out in front, Gimli being quick to respond and quick to do things, um, and now quick to make suggestions and uh, and to make observations. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yes, Bjorning, outside of the Hobbit story, Gimli is the only real character uh, who is a dwarf. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he is. Um, I would go even a step further, Bjorning. There's an argument to be made. There's an argument to be made that Gimli is the only real dwarf character that Tolkien ever wrote. Um, you've probably heard me talk about this before, and I'm not going to go into the, all the details of it right now, about the different ways in which Tolkien's ideas of dwarves change over time. Um, what I call Dwarf 1.0, Dwarf 2.0, Dwarf 3.0. Um, he's really the only Dwarf 3.0. I mean, we get a little bit with Thorin, um, especially Thorin's deathbed. But, um, uh, but really... It was in the it was it was during the course of the writing of the Hobbit and by the end of the Hobbit that his ideas about dwarves began to change. I won't say in the final way because it's quite rash to suggest that Tolkien's mind stopped changing about anything. Um, but it seems to me that where Tolkien ended up thinking about the dwarves is where he ended up at the end of the Hobbit, um, and therefore, Glowen, briefly right in the House of Elrond. And Gimli, enduringly, throughout the story, really is Tolkien's first crack at a dwarf character who really is what dwarves had come to be. Um, and um, so, yeah, so I, I, as I say, I, there's an argument to be made um, uh, that Gimli is the only dwarf character in all of Tolkien. If you see what I, though, saying that in sort of a special way. Um, uh, though it's interesting Meme in the Silmarillion is a character that was written in after so that is he's a character who was written post Dwarf 3.0 like Tolkien had that idea of dwarves in his mind um, but Meme is a bad data point in so many ways um it's complicated. Today is not the day that we're going to talk about uh, 
you know, meme and his history. Um, but um, what well, meme is, well, Vardingdale meme is borrowed from Tolkien's earlier version of meme, which was in turn borrowed <laughs> from the saga of Siegfried. Um, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But no, 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 no. I can't be drawn any further <laughs> in talking about meme. Um, but um, but anyway, as I say, I, I just I wanted to uh, I, I just want to acknowledge I, I want to track um, this stuff with Gimli, especially since I think that Tolkien himself is perfectly clear in his mind about how important this day is to Gimli. And although he's not blowing a trumpet about it, Right. He doesn't, you know, interject as narrator and really draw our attention to it. It's quite subtle and you can easily overlook it. Um, and yet I think that he is thinking very consistently about what this whole experience is going to be for Gimli. And really the centerpiece of that is going to be Gimli singing his song. Um, uh, it's not going to be the only part of it, of course, like there's going to be a, a bunch afterwards, especially, obviously, in the Chamber of Mizarbal, but through that whole experience, all the way down to the Bridge of Casa Doom, um, the sort of, the story, the story of Gimli, right? There's, there's clearly like a Gimli's perspective novella to be written about this whole sequence, right? From the moment when Gimli sees the mountains of Casa Doom in the distance, through um, uh, through the bridge of Khazad-dûm, and, and, and then I, I, maybe I would actually culminate it with the meeting with Galadriel. Um, but um, anyway, that's... There's a story. There's a story that Tolkien lets us glimpse, but doesn't tell us there. And I don't want to miss any of the glimpses. That's all. Um... One thing I would add, Gimli's, the fact that Gimli's the one who brings up Bill the Pony, right? Um, Gimli is not, does not say, he's not the one who says, we can't take the pony into the mines. Um, it's Gandalf who makes that, who draws that conclusion. Um, but I think from, from Gimli's perspective, all he speaks of is the logistical challenge of getting the pony to the West Gate. Because there's a set of stairs he's fixing to use, right? And the pony can't use it. And that, so that by itself, we'll come back to Bill, obviously, but that by itself, again, I ask myself, what does that tell us about Gimli? About where he is in his headspace right now and what he's like as a character? And the two main things that I see there as a consequence of that, the two main things that I see is that, one, he is thinking very practically. And he, he's not lost his head. He is not so giddy with excitement about being practically there at the very doors of Khazad Doom. Right? He's not lost his head so much that he's not thinking practically, that he's not thinking in a sense about something other than himself. Right? It, it would be forgivable, perhaps, for him already to be halfway up the steps and being like, y'all keep up if you can, but I'm there, right? Um, but that's not him. Um, and he is... Um, um, and he is moving along. 
oh, Cron 121, Gimli's journey through the paths of the dead is going to be really important. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and of course it'll be really... there. That is fascinating because in that moment we're going to get Gimli's point of view like we don't get here. Right. And so, of course, that's another reason to pay close attention here so that we have more to compare and contrast with um, the story. We're going to get his account of the Guttering Caves, of course, as well, which is another important Gimli moment. Um, but there we're not going to get it in real time. We're just going to get his retrospective on it. Right. So we're going to get a conversation with him reflecting back on it. But we're not going to get his experience of going there of being there, of discovering it, right? Um, uh, it really is only going to be the, the, the entrance to the paths of the, 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 the entering into the paths of the dead is... Am I right in thinking that's the only moment in the story that's really told from Ghibli's point of view? I think it is. Yeah. The last debate? Well, we get... Yeah, I was thinking about, like, him and Legolas and Minas Tirith after the Battle of Pelennor Field when they meet with um, Pippin and go to see Merry. But I don't think we... Yeah, like, the when he and Legolas are kind of strolling through the town, you know, observing the ups and downs, right, of Minas Tirith... It's a little bit from his point of view, a little bit. Um, but, um, yeah, I agree, Drowsnake. I do think that the crossing of the threshold of the paths of the dead is the only time that the narrator tells us what's what, what Gimli's thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, we hear from him. Um, well, anyway, whatever. That's not an important question to settle tonight. Uh, the point is, do let's pay attention to Gimli and see what we can put together um, to see if we can kind of pick up the breadcrumb trail that Tolkien is leaving for us. Again, these glimpses he provides for us, even though he's not actually narrating this story. Um, okay, so... Anyway, but my point was... He's not only being practical, he's being thoughtful, right? Um, he is, he's in a kind of, well, I was going to say take charge mode, but it's not exactly right. Practical suggestion mode, right? Um, we could not get our baggage pony up this stair, um, even if there were no lake. Um, we're going to have trouble with our, with our, with our pony. Um, Gandalf's response, but in any case, we cannot take the poor beast into the mines, shows that Gandalf has already thought of this. Right? Not surprisingly. Um, Gandalf knows they're not going to be able to take Bill with them into the mines. And he gives the explanation. The road under the mountains is a dark road, and there are places narrow and steep which he cannot tread even if we can. Gandalf knows they can't take Bill with them. There are going to be steep stairs. There are going to be possibly, like, they're, they're, they're possibly going to have to climb. Think, like, not just stairs, 
but I mean, there might be like, you know, rubble they have to slide down or scale up. I mean, like there's, there's, um, there are places narrow and steep. There are going to be ledges for him to fall off of. Um, Eric, I was thinking that last comment is um, that last comment is really uncertain, isn't it? Um, he doesn't have to say it quite like that, does he? And there are narrow, there are places narrow and steep which he cannot tread, though we can, right? Um, or like. Um, you know, he could even say something like places narrow and steep, which would be difficult for us to tread, you know, much less Bill, right? Or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I, it, the way he says it makes it sound like a big if. Like, he's not making any promises that they, in fact, can tread the places narrow and steep that they're going to encounter. Um, he seems to be being dubious. Having argued with Boromir and said that he was not going to lead them into a hopeless place and that he had always thought. And he is just... Um, uh, anyway, no, he's just about to reiterate um, that he feared all along they should be obliged to take this road. Um, so he's certainly not saying, I doubt we'll make it. And yet this does seem to be a kind of public service announcement it's not 100% guaranteed that we're going to be able to make it. Um, yeah, yeah. Vardendil says, exactly. He isn't leading them into a hopeless place. There's hope. There's just not certainty. Yes, exactly. Right? We might make it, but Bill will die for sure. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, no, it's not exactly... Well, I don't know that... I don't know that I would characterize it, Bjorning, as expressing doubt. I think it is acknowledging difficulty. Um, he's acknowledging that it's not going to be a given. Um, it's not going to be a given for them uh, that they're going to be able to that they're going to be able to cross. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I agree, Dr. Benway. I wouldn't go so far as to stress. I think you're right that the emphasis on that phrase is on the we, even if we can. Yes. He's not saying even if we can, right? Um, yeah. No, the, the emphasis isn't on the doubt. Um, but uh, but again, the, the structure of his syntax there does open the question, right? The possibility of doubt. Um, and I think that that's... Um, it is something he is wanting to acknowledge. So he's using this almost as an opportunity to warn those who are hearing, um, which is clearly less than 100% of the company because Sam's not hearing it yet, we know, right? Um, but Gimli and Frodo clearly are. And, uh, and he's warning them, I think, in part. Yeah, it's going to be really, this is not going to be, it's not just... So the problem is not just that we might get attacked by orcs, right? That was one of the... Remember uh, Boromir's comparison to knocking on the doors of Baradur itself, right? Not that he suggests... Not that Boromir was suggesting that Sauron has taken up residence in Khazad-dûm, right? Um, 
but presumably because of the number of orcs that are likely to be there. Um, and so it, the problem is not just that we're likely to meet orcs or that it's possible that we'll meet orcs. And it's not just that it's like, you know, dark and scary and scary and there might be other monsters. Um, the physical impediments of the road are going to be considerable as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, okay. Frodo's, Frodo's reflection, poor old Bill. I had not thought of that. So, uh, notice the contrast here. Um, Gandalf says he's been thinking about this. Gimli is just, is now thinking about it, right? He's looking at it and assessing and saying, yeah, we're going to have trouble with the pony, right? And Frodo is, has not thought of this at all. Oh, man. It never occurred to him that going through Moria for all of the other danger and everything else that, um, um, uh, for, for everything else that, uh, is, uh, is happening here. Um, he never, he never thought, um, uh, of, uh, having to take the pony in and whether the pony would go. I'd not thought of that. And poor Sam, I wonder what he will say. Poor old Bill and poor Sam. Now, Gandalf expresses sorrow. I'm sorry. Poor Bill has been a useful companion, and it goes to my heart to turn him adrift now. I would have traveled lighter and brought no animal, least of all this one that Sam is fond of, if I had had my way. Um, this is part of Gandalf's... Um, rather repeated and pronounced tendency to say, I told you so, <laughs> right? Um, uh, uh, you can say, do not muddle, uh, do not meddle in the affairs of wizards for they are subtle and quick to anger, right? Um, but you could also say, you know, uh, do not neglect, do not ignore the advice of wizards because they will keep reminding you that they gave it to you for, <laughs> for as long as you know them. Um, yeah. Now, JJ, it is not clear why Gandalf did not get his way on this point. We do not see this. He refers to it almost like he refers to his... Uh, suggestion that they let Merry and Pippin come, right? You know, we that disagreement we saw. Elrond didn't think that Merry and Pippin should come and Gandalf was like, you know, Gandalf spoke up and defended the idea of their coming, right? We heard that discussion. Um, we, um, we'd never heard any discussion. We never, this is the first we're hearing that Gandalf had been against bringing Bill. Um, as for why Bill came, well, we know who overruled Gandalf on that. Remember? We heard about this. Who overruled Gandalf about Bill coming? Sam, sort of Sam. It was Bill. Sam told us about it. 
right? But Bill overruled Gandalf. Remember, Sam said that he, um, yeah, Bill via Sam, exactly. Um, Bill gave Sam a look, which said as plain as Mr. Pippin could say it, right? That if uh, that he would follow along behind if you know if he was if if he didn't if if he didn't come. Um, exactly, Morgul Hamster. Uh, uh, Bill and Pip. Well, Bill decides to play the Pippin card, right? Like when Pippin had already like uh, his uh, stubborn insistence on coming along and saying he'd have to be chained up in order to keep him home. Bill apparently saw how well that worked, and so he pulled the same trick um, with uh, with Sam, apparently. Um, and um, anyway, so. Sam tells us that Bill insisted on coming um, and that he would pine if he had been left behind. Um, so, um, but there's a lot of things that are a little bit odd about this whole passage, don't you think? Um Did Gandalf attempt to caution Sam about this? Like, did he tell him that, um, I don't know. We don't know exactly what Gandalf might have said. Um, but the thing that's a little stranger. Yeah, Bill Huggins, I agree. Bill is Sam's Sam. That's exactly right. Um, that at least is uh, how, though, and I think, by the way, Bill, um, even even the way in which Sam characterizes it, Sam is too humble to compare Bill's desire to come along with him to his own, right? He could say, but doesn't say. Just as I uh, insisted on, you know, coming along with you so Bill is insisting on coming along with me right that seems to be more clearly the sort of parallel that we're understanding in the relationship between Sam and Bill and between Sam and Frodo right but instead he compares him to Mr. Pippin's determination right um, because he Sam is clearly more comfortable holding Pippin up as an example of courageous stubbornness um, that Bill is patterning himself after than he would be holding himself up as such an example. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, Bjarna Sonner, I do think very much that Sam sees himself in Bill. I do. Um, it's just that he wasn't going to compare him to himself when he was uh, when he was you know, praising him, essentially. Um, now, Michael, I agree with you that it's important that Gandalf is being empathetic here. Um, as Michael goes on to say, Frodo feels like this is a sacrifice of a loyal friend, and that could be the beginning of a very bad precedent for the ring bearer. Yes. Yes. Um, Gandalf does not want to convey to Frodo, for sure, 
that once these, um, you know, loyal, self-sacrificing friends have completed their usefulness, I am prepared to discard them, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and you're right, Kurtzimus, that a pony is not a person. It's not the same. And yet, I agree with the parallel that Michael was establishing. What is a pony? It's a beast of burden, right? Its job is to bear burdens, right? And Frodo's job is to bear a burden as well. There's a parallel to be made, right? It's not an inescapable, it's not an, it's not an exact parallel. They're not the same, right? Um, but again, the like uh, the question of but what's going to come of the one who has been carrying the burdens for uh, for all the rest of us, right? Been carrying burdens so that the rest of us did not have to carry burdens. And now when we finally come to the mountains and his uh, burdens have now been born, um, uh, what happens to him, right? It's, uh, it's... at the very least, a modestly disquieting parallel, right? Um, and of course, I, I'm not suggesting, I think that Gandalf feels genuine and spontaneous empathy for Bill. Uh, you know, I think that we know that he um, has a good relationship uh, with beasts, Gandalf does. Um, and his expression, that is, of his preference, that he would kind of rather that they had traveled lighter and brought no animal. Least of all, this one that Sam is, is fond of, right? Shows both his kindness towards beasts, knowing that any pack animal that they brought with them would likely not survive. I mean, look, remember, Gandalf is himself a veteran of the horrifying there and back again journey in which literally dozens of of ponies meet an untimely death, <laughs> right? So, um, uh, you know, he remembers all too clearly how dangerous journeys of this kind can be for horses. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Um, Okay. But there's another question which I can't get around and I'm not sure how to get around. Um, but in any case, we cannot take the poor beast into the mines. The road under the mountains is a dark road and there are places narrow and steep which he cannot tread even if we can. So, what's the plan? Right. Um, Gandalf is clearly already weighing. If you know you're not going to take Bill into the mines, why are you taking him to the mines? Remember where they're going. Remember Boromir's assessment. They're going to the cliff walls. Uh, and the likeliest scenario is them finding themselves trapped 
with their backs to the cliff walls while hordes of wolves eat them. Right. Um, so that looks bad. Gandalf knows this. But they need speed. Right? They could have let Bill go back in Holland, right? Um, hoping that he would be able to escape while the wolves chased them, right? But that would have slowed them down a bit, right? Um, Gandalf, I think, is making a hard choice here. I think that Gandalf knows. He seems to recognize Bill's Bill's outlook is poor, right? Notice how he characterizes it. It goes to my heart to turn him adrift. Adrift. Just send him off. Um, he doesn't talk about sending him home. He doesn't talk about letting him escape. He, they're just going to set him adrift. That's all they can do. And they're setting him adrift in a desolate place where they know that packs and packs of highly intelligent wolves are pursuing them. Um, it seems that Gandalf has already made a hard choice here about Bill. He's known what was going to happen. And, um, yeah, yeah. Um, but he has compassion for Sam. Why did he not speak up more firmly against Sam when Sam insisted on bringing Bill? I don't know. That is still... It's a question which this raises, right? We know Sam tells us Bill insisted. It certainly sounds like Sam endorsed Bill, right, in his insistence on coming. Why did Gandalf not put his foot down? Why did Gandalf not insist that Bill could not come? Or that they bring no animal? Um, it's true that Gandalf wasn't 100% sure that they were going through Moria. That is true. Um, but... Um, yeah, Barry Adir, does uh, Maya put a pony? Does does a Maya put a pony on the same level as a Hobbit or elf or human? Uh, no, not necessarily. But um, but as he says here, least of all this one that Sam is fond of. He knew that full well. Um, Sam says that Bill would pine if he were left behind, but Gandalf knows full well that Sam will pine if Bill meets a hideous and untimely death on their journey, right? Um, so it's not a non-issue, right? Um, yeah, it's not a non-issue. Um, yeah. Abelard says the whole party signed up for a horrific death. Well, it's true. It's true. Uh, Dollar Struck, you're absolutely correct. Uh, ponies were very commonly used in mines. 
in the in the UK, especially coal mines. Um, there were, yes, tens of thousands of ponies being used uh, in mines, um, and uh, um, so that's a that's a known thing. Gandalf is saying that because of the this place has been abandoned and because of the bad terrain and all the stairs and this was not designed for ponies because um, it's not the whole thing is the mine right um, did uh, did the dwarves use pack animals of any kind we don't know who knows how the dwarves ran their mines they're not going to tell us um, yeah yeah we um we just don't have any idea. Um, yeah. No, Michael, I agree. I, I think that even, even the parallel with Pippin seems to me relevant. The parallel that Sam establishes between Bill and Pippin. Right? Um... Remember that Gandalf's specific argument for allowing Pippin and Merry to come is, he says to Elrond, that it would perhaps be wiser um, to, uh, uh, you know, to rely on their friendship rather than on great wisdom, right? Um, and um, so perhaps Gandalf did not override Sam not because he was just sort of humoring Sam or whatever, or didn't dare to stand up to Sam or to Bill, um, but rather because he did the same, you know, he, he was won over by the same rationale, by Sam's insistence, by Sam, by the Bill's friendship with Sam. Um, that if they, in the end, if they were to bring a beast, you know, uh, Perhaps it would be good that it should be, uh, you know, Bill. That it should be the 10th member of the company. That it should be uh, 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 Bill the Pony that we've seen. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think... The role, the the role that the departure of Bill is going to play in the story, is which we'll see very soon, is going to be an interesting one, I think. Um, and it is all about friendship and priorities in the end. Um, yeah, Maureen, exactly. Sam's choice, as we'll see. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. And I don't think... Again, clearly he didn't put his foot down. Which means he must have thought it would not be a horrible thing. Right? Um, is there a strong likelihood that Bill the Pony is going to die on the trip? Yeah, Gandalf has to have known that. Especially if he thought all along that they should be obliged to take this road. Even without certainty of that, still, since his heart was telling him that they would be obliged 
to take the road through Moria, um, you'd think that would have factored in. But it doesn't, not enough to make him say it. And I think it's important. I think it's important to acknowledge. It's not about, I think, about the comparative importance of pony lives versus, you know, hobbit or human or elf lives or whatever. Um, I think it's about, I don't know, it's about freedom. It's about choice, right? If Bill chooses and Sam chooses, who is Gandalf in the end to uh, just veto that choice? Even if the choice leads to a bad end, to a, a sad ending, at least what people in the story would call, what ponies in the story would call a sad ending, right? Um, it may be that Bill will end up having to be sacrificed, that Bill will sacrifice himself. Who knows what's going to happen with Bill, right? Um, but he chooses not to deny Sam's friendship with Bill, Bill's friendship with Sam, right? Um, so I guess it does make some sense. I guess I can kind of think my way through it. It's not just Gandalf being callous. Um, it's the peril with Pippin that's weighing with me most and helping me most to think through this. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the choice to give others freedom. Yes. Yes. Good. Yeah. Bjorning was saying, um, uh, allow me to reintroduce the idea that freedom, even when it leads to bad ends, is the ultimate antidote to the ring temptation. It's also connected with Estelle as well, right? That is to say, if you start thinking in terms only of what is going to work out best, right? What do I believe is going to lead to the you know, the best outcome. If that's all, you're you're living only on Amdir and not on Estelle. Um, so yes, um, to value other things, you know, beyond and above safety, practicality, and freedom, I think is definitely one of those one of those things. Um, yeah, Sarah, and it's interesting. Um, Gandalf went with trusting to, fel to friendship and that perhaps Bill had his own part to play in this effort. Yes, I could see Gandalf saying exactly that. Um, did he? I think he's gonna. I think... Um, uh, I think we'll see it soon. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. You know, this is my 
I am tempted to start the next slide. Hey, let's do it. Let's just look at the next slide. We don't have time to discuss the whole thing because we're almost out of time, but we're like not quite out of time. So let's just let's just peek. Let's just peek. The day was drawing to its end, and cold stars were glinting in the sky high above the sunset when the company, with all the speed they could, climbed up the slopes and reached the side of the lake. In breadth, it looked to be no more than two or three furlongs at the widest point. How far it stretched away southward they could not see in the failing light, but its northern end was no more than half a mile from where they stood, and between the stony ridges that enclosed the valley and the water's edge there was a rim of open ground. They hurried forward, for they had still a mile or two to go before they could reach the point on the far shore that Gandalf was making for, and then he had still to find the doors. Cold stars were glinting in the sky high above the sunset. Yes, that means the day is very definitely coming to its end, right? Um, Nerdo Sapiens, why is that? Why 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 are the stars cold? That's a great question. Um, I mean, because it's January is one possible answer to that question, but I think it's more than that, right? Arnos um, uh, <laughs> was just thinking that, which is much more impressive for Arnos to be thinking that, because of course. Um, it's not cold in January where Aranas lives, so <laughs> it's, it's good of you to be uh, to be in Northern Hemisphere mode there, Aranas. Um, yes, yes. Um, it does remind us of the cold, right? Um, but again, I think remember as we've said so often the description of um, uh, the description of the landscape is an expression of how people are feeling about it, right? Um, I think that the coldness of the stars glinting above the sky is in part an expression of their fear at seeing the stars. Remember, this is what they've been, what they've been racing against this whole time. Um, uh, this is, you know, the the coming of night, and with the night, the coming of the wolves. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. Cold, possibly. I saw someone talking about cold in the sense of uh, um, of distant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Keller was saying that, yes, yes. Um, distant and unfeeling, right? The stars aren't frowning at them. They're just staring down pitilessly, right, at them. Yes. Um, oh, you're right. Look at all those sibilants again. cold stars were glinting in the sky high above the sunset with all the speed they could up the slopes and reach the side of the lake. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then we get the Fs coming back in again. 
with the furlongs and how far it is stretched away southward in the failing sea and the failing light. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um... Yeah, I don't... Well, we'll get to the Hobbit foot gear. We'll do that next time. Um, sorry, just looking... I, I was I, looking and thinking through alliterative patterns here, but I'm not going to get too far into that tonight. We'll maybe come back to that next week. Um, what we get in this paragraph is first an observation that the day is ending, right? Um, the note that night has fallen. That thing they've been racing against, the race is almost over. They're almost at the end. Um, they're almost at the end of their race. But they're not quite at the end of their race. By the way, um, do you know where an English person of the first half of the 20th century would most frequently encounter the word furlong? What would, what, what, what would the word furlong have been most associated with in England in the first half of the 20th century? Horse racing. Absolutely. Horse racing. Yes. Um, horse racing is where um, the, the furlong was a really important unit of measure in horse racing. Um, so I do think that there's um, uh, there's a not quite a joke, right? But the fact that they're measuring distances in furlongs here um, is a way of put, I get, the, the, this is this is the last str they're they're literally coming around the final turn, right, of their race to the gates. Um, uh, and yes, Bob, it does make the whole but we're going to let our horse go thing a little bit more ironic now, isn't it? Um, but um, anyway, yeah. So they're coming to the end of the race. So, for, so you have first the observation that the time is almost over, right? They've been racing against dusk and it's happening. The sun is still setting, still counts officially as sunset. Uh, apparently, like you can still see enough light on the horizon that it that it counts as sunset behind them, but up above they can still see stars. Remember where they're facing, right? They are facing east. The sun is setting behind them. So if you're facing, if if it's sunset, right, and the sun is almost completely down, or or in fact completely behind the horizon, and you're facing east and looking up, you're going to see stars, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's what, yes. Astronomical twilight. Yes. Yes. Um, 
<laughs> That's really bad, Josh. Kind of like it, though. Josh points out that they have Bill with them for now, but he won't be with them for long. Yes. Yes. Very. <laughs> very true. <laughs> very true. Um, I've always loved furlong as a measure of distance. It's my favorite measure of distance. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, okay. So anyway, uh, you can see how close it is to full night. It is almost, but not quite full night. And then we look down to assess the distance and we get a description of the valley. Not really interested. Um, a description which is not... Notice that the description ignores the lake. That is, we don't get any description of the water or anything. Like We, we got that the some brief references which made the water seem pretty unpleasant. But they're not even looking at the water. right? The, the description is entirely about the shoreline. It's how they get around the lake. North or south? Clearly north. Gimli was right. right? Um, clearly north... And uh, and the estimate of how how many furlongs, in fact, is the end of the race, right? How long is it around the final turn and towards the finish line? And then what does the finish line look like? Um, that that point on the far shore that Gandalf was making for, and then he had still to find the doors. Um, so we uh, the way that he kind of drops that. Right at the end of that sentence, at the end of that paragraph, right, um, is uh, uh, ominous, right? And then he had still to find the doors. The implication being, on the one hand, much of the um, much of the paragraph might seem hopeful, right? They've made it. Look, they're coming around the final bend. Right, the race is almost over. They've been, they've been, you know, traveling hard all day long. They've been trying. This is where they've been trying to get to, and they're here. They found it, right? They found it, and in time, the sun is not even down yet. Um, they're gonna make it. And then he had still to find the doors, right? Um, the finish line is. Uh, we have to remember Boromir's words, right? Boromir's assessment that the likeliest outcome was still them being trapped between the wolves and the wall. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, interesting, Little Room Johnny. That's interesting. Um, sort of sounds like Sam's mumbling. Yes. Even in the way that it's framed. Right. That is like uh, the little addition. Right. And then he had still to find the doors. Right. Sounds like Sam muttering something at the end of a, at the end of a, you know, like as if Gandalf had just said, um, you know, come, there is, you know, there is a mile. There's but a mile or two yet to go. And then we will have reached the point on the far shore that I am making for. And then Sam mutters and but then you still have to find the doors. Right. I agree. It does have something in that. um Something in that dynamic. Um, so, Bob, yes, you're right. Does this mean it's a Sam written passage? I was thinking the same thing. Um, maybe. Maybe. I could buy that. 
it's a very Sam-ish sentiment. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anne Maria, I wonder. I think the previous conversation was clearly written by Frodo, even though it. I mean, I don't think Sam would have written the poor Sam stuff, right? Um, I think that all of this, the Bill and Sam stuff, is definitely written by Frodo. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, Johnny, I, I could definitely see uh, Sam's editorial hand, perhaps, in that sentence. That's a fun, it's a fun interpretation. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's good. All right, we'll stop there next time. We'll do. We'll look. A, we'll look a little bit more at the iterative patterns. I was restraining myself um, uh, because we only had a little bit of time tonight, and then we'll move on to the second paragraph. And then we'll probably we'll probably do. You know, we'll do, we're gonna do like three slides in two weeks here. I bet you. Um, and yes, we are on for next week. Next week um, will be the last one. I will be home next week. Pretty sure there's nothing. It's the closer we get to the holidays, the likelier it is that something's going to come up. But um, as far as I know, I'll be here next week, and then um, after that, we'll be the I we won't have we won't meet on Boxing Day. Um, I'll be away for uh, the holiday week, but then I'll be back. Right, uh, we should be back after New Year's, and it will be the anniversary. So we have one more, and then it'll be our. Um, our big, what will it be? Seventh anniversary uh, session after that. So, um, excellent. Okay, cool. Very good. Thanks, everybody. It's uh, it's field trip time. Good evening, everyone. Yeah. Good evening, Valoria. How are you? Doing all right. Getting excited for the holidays. Really want the holidays to happen because finals are happening to my teams. <laughs> so. Yes. Yes. Yep. Now we're coming towards the end there. We're, we're around the first post. We are. We are. It's, it's funny too. It's such an, ex because I don't think I reflected on such a, how, how an exciting scene that whole lead up was. And then immediately Sam just throws cold water around the end. It's like, and then they still had to figure out the door and enter, you know, what, what is it? probably a montage of several hours of being frustrated and bored in front of the doors. Right. Right. It got real boring real quick. Yes. Yeah. Um, though the, um, uh, the tension sort of remains, right. That is mm -hmm. the idea that they're being hunted and all that. Yeah. It's it, it, but it's, it's less fine tingly and more of like a creeping dread kind of thing. It's like we've suddenly gone from, the, the practical test to the written test <laughs> for PE class. Yes. Yes. It's like we, we ran our mile, and now we have to explain the functions of uh, the, the, the triceps. Yep. Oh, dear, it's all going wrong. Right. Right. So yep. it's, it was rather clever of Sand to give us that little transition into the next bit. Right. All right. Um, so let's um, 
Let's head down. We were still using, all right, Flongaren. Mm -hmm. So let's head down to Flongaren. And then we were going to go out into the, uh, out into the Delta, right? And explore mm -hmm. some of those things that we had seen from the heights. Oh, yeah, the flooded, flooded island bits. Yeah. Right out in the wade water. Yeah. Because we definitely saw some. We definitely saw some uh, stuff. What looks like could possibly be ruins. What looked like could also be some cemetery. Yeah, Central. and some maybe even some current um, habitat. Oh, can I not get over this wall? Oh, oh. you gotta be kidding me. No, I got over. Hang on. I'm going to have to start waiting sooner or later, so. Okay. Yeah. On my way around. I'm just getting really bad lag right now. Okay. So, now, oh, those buildings we're seeing in the attack. distance, that is not far bad. That's the other, uh, what is it? Um, right, uh, Nimbarth. That's Nimbarth, Nimbarth yeah, over there. Okay. yeah. Can okay. everyone hear me okay? Yep. Yep. Okay. Now I think Some people in chat were saying they couldn't hear. Right. Yeah. So right. and that's another. So all of those those are the ruins on the Cardolan side. Yeah. Okay. So where do we want to go? We want to let's go. Let's go down this way. Let's be let's be a little thorough. And let's hope we don't get unhorsed too very many times. Since it's called the Wade Water, I'm hoping they'll keep their word and let us wade around in it rather than making us swim okay. and lose our horses constantly. Uh. Yeah. Or just, frankly, kill us because they don't want us going in there. Right. Yeah, that's also another thing that would be good for them not to do. I remember Mark Wood. Right. Well, these are very beautiful herons. I don't remember seeing herons in other places. Oh, yeah. Fun. That's oh, a who's fun this addition. Guy? Oh, an Uruk High Scout, huh? Oh. Big long ducks. Oh, I've discovered Fang Settle. I don't know what that is. Is that the island? Is this the island of Fang Settle? This looks mm. like there's a bunch of Avonks here. Does it just mean it's the island where... Wow, who named it? How do I know what it's named? Oh, I see, right? There's just like... This is like... Oh, it's their nests, right? Okay. This is, this, is, this is where they chased them away to, I guess. Right, this is where the Avonk live. Okay. Well, that's a little bit interesting, but not quite what I was hoping for. Yeah. As I'm not sure that we're going to be able to identify Avonk architecture and link it to particular historical periods yeah. of Middle Earth. Well, it's so. these nests over here. That's about it. Yes. Oh, some deep wow. water over oh, here. Whew. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm, now, I'm behind. I'm see oh, no, those are stumps. I thought those were columns, but I think those are stumps of trees. Are, are, they, are they columns? Uh, the weeds are too high for me to really tell. Right. Yeah, I'm looking to the, across the channel to the north. Where are oh, we now? Okay, we're still okay. kind of right in the middle of things, huh? Uh, those look like rock deposits, and I, it does look like some rotted tree, tree stumps over there. Ooh, look, hey, they have Spanish moss here. That's fun. Ooh. Oh, yeah, no, this is one of those two. Yeah, it's a tree stump. There's a tree stump oh, okay. here, yeah. 
I think that I can't even see it anymore because I'm too oh, close yeah. to it. But yeah. Oh, I've seen stuff like this in sort of marshy areas before. Yeah. All right, so it's Spanish moss and herons. I feel like I'm back in the bayou. I just I did a swamp tour when I was in uh, New Orleans. Do they have holly out there? Um, I did not see any holly, but um, lots but, of it out here. But yeah, when I was in New Orleans uh, weekend before last, I um, I did a swamp tour. Got to see uh, got to see a real bayou. Ooh, that's cool. It was fun. We saw alligators. We saw uh, lots of turtles. Okay, there's Tharbad. Yeah. And this is a convenient hill from which to overlook many of these other little islands. Yeah. And I'm not seeing any signs of human habitation, present or past. Maybe what we thought were gravestones were really just those big rock deposits. Maybe. Well, I, there was what looked almost certainly like a settlement further up in the north. Um, yeah. But uh, we'll we'll just keep scouting around here a little bit. Yeah, we went um, pretty far west, too. I thought it was more east when we yeah. saw it. I just want, well, I wanted to see... I, the reason I wanted to come all the way out here to the west is yeah. I wanted to see if there was... Uh-oh, I'm lagging now, too. I wanted to see if there yeah. were any evidence of... Because we're, obviously we're approaching Tharbad, right? And in fact, we yes. can even see where we're approaching... That's the back end of that central, like, palace keep in the middle of it, right? And yeah, I wanted yeah. to see if there was any evidence of any, um, like, ruins or uh, tower bases or walls. or Like, did, did they ever build anything out here? Mm -hmm. And it looks like no. Okay, because this Ooh, is... Hyacinth. The, yeah, this is the main river. This is the Guathlo proper. Yep, yep. Here. Okay. And so, uh, there we go. There's Nimbarth and the other ruins. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So, if we go along the river here, head back up to the north and west. Yeah, I keep seeing little clusters of hyacinth out here. Yeah, I really like the way that they have... Um, diversified the flowers and the, you know, the the flora in general. Oh yeah. In the game world. Yeah, I, li I like the heather all over the place too. Okay. Just looking around. Let's see. Oh, it's probably nothing in this other island over here, but you know can't be too sure. Again, especially mm -hmm. since we're right across the river from uh -huh. Nimbarth and such. Um, mm -hmm. Again, the main thing... Well, this is almost always one of the main things that I'm looking for is to make sure I can try to put together you know, the broad story. Yeah, the timeline. Yeah, the broad story and history of a region based on based on what we can see. And so how much action was there on the south shores 
even here, I mean, that's Nimbarth right over there. Yeah, we're right directly mm -hmm. across from Nimbarth now. And there's still no sign of anything that I can see. Docks yeah. or piers or towers or anything. So maybe these islands were submerged at the time. It's possible. It's possible. Um, I think it's also possible. Remember that we were the evidence that we saw in the road of the, yeah. um, like, Tharbad is the boundary between the Gondorian and the Arnorian jurisdictions, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we know that this is so far from, you know, places that Gondor was actually concerned about or doing anything other than maintaining its roads, that it's not mm -hmm. surprising that they didn't, like, branch out at all. I mean, it would be a little bit surprising if they were building heavily on these tiny little ayats and things. But but still, like, the, there doesn't seem to be any evidence of interest that I can see so far uh, in these southern shores from a Gondorian perspective. Though we have seen those encroachments right on the other side of Tharbad, encroachments yeah. from Arnor, right? You know, that uh, the Arnorian settlement that's right up by Mossward mm -hmm. uh, that we saw, even though... Um, uh, even though it's clearly on the Gondorian side, but okay. Well, now I was pretty sure it was in this general direction, probably still a little bit further north that we saw what we saw. Okay, there's Hlongaren right up there. Oh, I see where uh, we're get, uh, the banks are rising, so let's. Uh, Let's get up here to the heights while we can. Still nice and swampy. Lots of Spanish moss up here. Yeah, I can see an elf settlement. For building things. Yeah, I know. I can see an elf settlement off in the distance. Hmm. Oh, this is what we saw. These little termite rounds? Oh, you think? Yeah. I saw what looked like a bunch of standing stones. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We did Is think it one? looked like graves. Yeah, this might have. We, we might have seen this. And I agree. I think they're just termites. They're insect hives. Huh. Yeah, I just say termite because I don't know what actually lives there. But. Right, yeah. Oh, we got some fun alliteration in the creatures here. This is the, the we have annoyingly aggressive avox. So. <laughs> okay. And now, okay, now we've got more. So that across that way, the land that we're seeing over there that's where still that's still Nimbarth we're close to yeah it is um mm. that land over there is the like the end that's the like the the mainland mm -hmm. western Aragian yeah the, the elven ones look to the east with a little dome yes I'm seeing the the elf stuff we were seeing I want to just look at these stones because these looked different than Ooh. stones we'd seen this almost look like dead trolls yeah the way they're just kind of piled and clustered around here is interesting. The moss implies they've been here for a long time. Yeah. 
Yes. We haven't seen moss on any of the other rocks. No, not that, like the... Um, the, the red ones. Yeah, the, like, brown kind of uh, squarish off stones. Mm. Okay. Oh, lots of elix trees. Yeah. Almost in Eregion? Is that what this is? Well, yeah, because we're... This is Western Eregion here. Oh, okay. Okay, so this is... Not what I thought I was seeing. I mean, it is. Uh, in that it's it's obviously elf ruins. Well, but... Um, when I saw it from a distance, I couldn't tell it was a ruin. I thought I was seeing Karas Galebrin there from the map. But it is not. This is... Uh, okay. Let's see. An elf ruin. What can we make of it? Those little curly cues are interesting. This uh, gazebo floor. No artichokes. No. The tracing is really green. Yeah. All right. Wow. I don't think we've seen a gazebo this intact before. Yeah, this is... Uh... Yeah, we got some... This is what it's supposed to look like, maybe. More or less. Part of it. Oh, yeah, look, we even get the top of the dome. Like the center of the dome up ahead. Huh. So I think this is of the same general kind as the ones we saw in Oregon. Hmm. What was this place? Hmm. Walls? No doors? Glazing, maybe? That, I don't know, that's a log. So the one big central... Whoa. Gazebo. These are good columns over here. Wow. What did this used to be? I can't get into it. You have to find the door. Well, this thing doesn't have an entrance. I had to jump up onto it. <laughs> At first. Uh, it, maybe maybe the ground eroded beneath it. Maybe. Well, that would make sense if there aren't any stairs. Or maybe the stairs are made of wood and didn't survive. Wait, there's an actual elf here? Mm. There's, there's like a living, surviving elf? In the help, I'm stuck underneath. Third there. age elves are pretty good at that. Hmm. Oh, I didn't even notice these big columns behind the holly trees. Yeah, and then this other fragment of wall. I can't make head nor tail of what I mean. It's hard with all the reeds and everything, but. <laughs> 
<laughs> Literally can't see the forest for the trees here. Yeah, I can't. I, oh, somebody's uh, highlighted our... Oh. There oh. you are. Thank you. Yeah, very much in the weeds here. In Athron, huh? He's in mail. Oh, there he is. Gosh, he looked like the grass. Yeah. I'm sitting here wondering what everybody's looking at. And Nathron. I'm going to call you Weedy. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, we can't see. He looks like he's wearing the, the tabard and mail of a Brelander. Isn't that where we usually see that kind of tabard? Well, that's different from like the elves by the last bridge. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I think he's wounded unless he's just like retying his shoe very laboriously, JJ. Looks to me like he's doing the my knee is wounded thing. Like I just had the unhappy triad and uh need to have my ACL repaired. Um, or if it's me, I, I took the stare at a funny angle. Yes. Look at how the top of the dome of that gazebo is carved. I don't remember seeing that. Well, I don't think we've seen like, a top. Yeah, the outside of the dome there. Oh, yeah. It's like a little sticky-outy columns in the middle of the big ones. That mm -hmm. are purely decorative, but... Uh, yeah. Just for... Yeah, so I make, think probably make you wonder what elements wore away, though. Hmm? Makes you wonder what elements have rotted away at this point, though. It does. So probably Noldor. Yeah. I've got to think, why would you build this? What possible reason could there be? I mean, like a nice party spot, but a nice party spot down by the swamp? Seems a little eccentric. It does make me think this wasn't always a swamp then. Remember we were, remember last week's word was insalubrious. I, I get the feeling that if it was like this at the time, it'd be insalubrious Maybe. to the health of an elf. Maybe. Well, certainly, now. It might be a watchtower, actually. It's so fancy, though. It is fancy. Now, but And it's not tall enough. Most everything's got a roof. Like even this, yeah. uh, even the big one has, you can see the dome. It has a dome just like the, you know, the nice little spots in uh, Eregion did. Mm-hmm. Well, this one has a ramp kind of like a water slide. Yeah, I don't see a full amusement park here. As boat we, launch. As we saw in, uh, what was it called? Isn't it like this one over okay. here? Somewhere in Edgian, yeah. Yeah, Barred Morlos or somewhere like that. Mm hmm. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking of the dome in Echadaregian. Mm hmm. Um, hey, you know what? I think since they changed the map, I lost a lot of my location pins in Eregion. Yeah. I know we'll that Narnian has been certainly to Echad Dunan um, and all around. Most of the places. 
Yeah. Anyway, we should. We might have to do a ride through just for everyone's benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do that as we're getting closer to it. But mm-hmm. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to. I'm hoping that we can approach um, that we can approach Aregian from like this road, like from uh, we we can find this road that leads to Echad Mirabel from the other side. I'm, uh, oh, yeah. I'm excited about that. So. Across the Methethal. Yeah. Um, oh, oh no, the other way, other way, other way. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's. Um... Man, the carvings on this are so fun. Let's head over towards the elf settlement and see if we can get the towards Kalas Galebrin. See if we can get okay. a milestone there so that we can okay. start next time. Um, Excellent. And we'll just see if we see any other ruins in between, if indeed we can see anything but reeds. Termite mound. Yeah, I can't imagine how unpleasant this would be to actually ride a horse through. Yes. I have to admit to being slightly disappointed that those turned out to be insect mounds and not standing stones. Uh, Yeah. Arthropology is not as much fun as anthropology. No. No. Not in this context, anyway. That would be a whole different kind of investigation. Uh, yeah. <coughs> and uh, I would be frankly unqualified for it. Not that I'm particularly qualified for this, but... Um, My face hurts just looking at this. <laughs> what the... Just imagine all the tree branches hitting you in the face and right. the reeds and the sticks and the holly. That's where Holly's no fun at all. No. no what, at high fit. speed slashing across yeah. your face? No, that doesn't yeah. sound fun. Yeah. All I right. <laughs> Here's the larger elf thing, and it is also ruinous. But I shall make no further observations, because we shall explore it next week. But let us find the... Oh, and there's the milestone. Huzzah! Okay. So there we go. Yep, we got a stable and we got the little mile dealy over back there. All right. And there's the stable master too? Uh, yeah, stable master is oh, right uh, in the corner. Yeah, there's, past the tent. Past the tent. I can't get around the tent. <laughs> I'm stuck at the mailbox. Okay, there we go. Oh, it's a ranger. Oh, well, that's interesting all by itself. Yeah, we'll see if he's a ranger who can ranger. Okay. He's going to make oh. us do it. Oh, there's still another stable. Oh, the one up here in Western Oregon. Okay. Oh. All right. I thought this was our last stable master, but it turns out to be the penultimate stable master in Oregon. Or in. Okay, more things to look at. And yep. Including these really cool columns, which I'm not going to look at. I'm not looking at them at all. Okay, so next time we shall explore Caras Galebran and this uh, the rest of this little uh, little peninsula, um, mm-hmm. and then we will head up into after that we'll head up into Western Oregon, uh, see what we see there on the other side of the Mithaifel, um Well, no, that would be the Bruinen actually from mm-hmm. the angle um, 
and then we'll head over back into it again. Very um, cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. Very good. Thanks, everybody. We are uh, probably only, what, maybe two sessions away from finishing Swan Fleet, unless we discover something really shocking. Um, <laughs> That's but, always uh, an option. Yeah, exactly. Cool. All right. Excellent. Thank you, everybody. Uh, and we will plan to see you guys again next week uh, before our holiday break. But in the meantime, thanks very much. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye now. Bye.